the Sermons Podcast for Ottawa Baptist Church. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. Charles Thomas Studd, also known as C.T., was a man who was born into a wealthy British family in 1860. He attended England's best schools and eventually became a highly recognized cricket player in England. He had a promising future and was a household name for families that followed sports. When C.T. was in his later teenage years, his father, Edward, was saved at a D.L. Moody meeting. Edward's conversion was dramatic And he always talked to his sons about Jesus and eternal life and eventually took them to a D.L. Moody meeting as well. When speaking about his father's conversion, C.T. said, Before that time, I thought that religion was a Sunday thing, like one Sunday clothes to be put away on Monday morning. We boys went to church regularly, but although we had a kind of religion, it didn't amount to much. We were always sorry to have Sunday come since it was the dullest day of the whole week. Then I met a real life playing the game Christian. It was my own father. A year after attending the D.L. Moody meeting with his father, a traveling speaker who was hosting a series of meetings was staying in C.T.'s family home. And one day this traveling speaker had a conversation with C.T. about what he truly believed. And at the end of the conversation, C.T. was left with this decision that would ultimately result in him becoming a Christ follower. Now, C.T. had a genuine conversion experience, but he struggled a little bit. In fact, he struggled for the next six years. It wasn't until C.T.'s brother fell seriously ill that he had some serious questions that he needed to answer. At his brother's bedside, he began to question, what is really important to my brother at this stage in his life? Is fame and flattery really worth anything? Is possessing all of the world's riches, does it amount to anything when a man is facing eternity? C.T. knew that at that stage, his brother, who had also became a Christian, The only thing that was important to him were the scriptures and Christ. C.T.'s brother eventually recovered, but the impact that this event had upon C.T. changed him forever. You see, God did a work in his life, and that work could not be contained. C.T. began speaking to his friends about Jesus, and soon he saw those that he loved and spent time with accept Christ. And in the end, C.T. would give up the life that he knew. He would give up cricket, substantial wealth, every single thing. And he would enter into the mission field. He would serve in countries like China, India, and Africa. In fact, he would go on to serve over 40 years on foreign soil, spreading the gospel. Speaking of his former life, C.T. said, Formerly, I had as much love for cricket as any man could have. But when the Lord Jesus came into my heart, I found that I had something infinitely better than cricket. My heart was no longer in the game. I wanted to win souls for the Lord. I knew that cricket would not last and honor would not last. And nothing in this world would last, but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. 
path of missions work was not easy at all and it took great sacrifice but there was no greater honor for ct than living for christ ct's son-in-law and co-laborer with him in africa and missions work said this ct's life stands as a sign to all succeeding generations that it is worthwhile to lose all this world can offer and stake everything on the world to come his life will be an eternal rebuke to easygoing Christianity. He has demonstrated what it means to follow Christ, counting the cost and not looking back. C.T. was truly a man who followed the costly and glorious path. One of the things that really struck me was that although C.T. considered himself a Christian, for that period of six years, he also considered himself to be in this backslidden state as he entertained the thought of Christianity. But there was this moment where he understood that he was not following the costly and the glorious path. I was reading over the course of the accounts of his life, and something that struck me was that C.T. considered himself for that period of six years to be in a backslidden state as he just simply entertained Christianity. But he arrived at a moment where he understood he wasn't following the costly and glorious path. One of the things, unfortunately, that seems to be lacking in much Christian teaching in modern times are the stark statements that Jesus made that are absolutely tied to being his follower. Mistakenly, many ministers have reduced the cost component of following Jesus. It's as if they somehow make Christianity more appealing or easier or more doable. Then people would be more likely to join the team, so to speak. I'm not saying that we need to run people through 12 months of theological courses and that they need to know every single detail about Scripture and what it means to become a Christian. But at the same time, we cannot imply that those who are considering the cost or those who are following Christ or making those decisions, we cannot imply that they will simply be wrapped in clouds and fluffy pillows and that they will not incur a cost at any moment when Christ says, follow me. During Jesus' earthly ministry, it's interesting to see his disciples operating as his unofficial public relations team. There are times where Jesus said some bold statements and his disciples looked at one another and pulled him to the side thinking, do you realize what you just said? That there were people, important people, who were offended by your words. Oftentimes the disciples would act in that capacity, but that did not hinder Jesus from sharing the truth. While Jesus was tenderhearted, he was also considered a prophet. And at times, the prophet had very strong messages, messages of truth regarding how people were living their lives and calling them to live a life of faithfulness, to live a life that was costly and glorious. In Luke 14, Jesus is slowly making his way into Jerusalem. And it is there that he will be arrested, tried illegally, and crucified and on this journey, large crowds were following Jesus. And while they are following him, he stops and he takes some time to reveal to them the startling cost of following him. In Luke 14, 
we read Jesus' words. A large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. I like how the New Living Translation frames this understanding of the word hate. Firstly, Christ never calls us to hate anyone. That is in direct opposition to the many messages that Jesus spoke. So how do we handle this word hate? The meaning of hate as Jesus uses it means that the love we have for Jesus must be so great that an earthly love we have for everything else is to be considered hatred. It's more about this intensity in which we love and follow Christ, that he is number one. We think of the relationships that Jesus mentioned in this passage. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate all things. Hate everyone else. Your father and your mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. In most cases, those who are following Jesus would have incredible love and respect for their mother and their father. God even incorporated this honoring component of parents into the very fabric of the law that he gave Moses in the Ten Commandments. One of them is honor your father and mother. And yet Jesus says your dedication and your love for them should not rival your love and dedication for me. And Jesus also begins to mention these other key relationships that we have over the course of our life, the ones that we hold most dear. He says, even the relationship you have with a spouse, wife or husband, your children, your brother, your sisters. And yes, you must even hate your own life when measured in comparison to the love that you have for me. As human beings, we know that we are prone to put ourselves first. It's easy for us to act in selfish ways, to always push for our preferences and our desires and our wants over everyone else's. But we go back to the statement or go back to the life of C.T. Studd that we spoke about earlier. So what did C.T. need to hate in his life to follow the costly and glorious path? In his case, he needed to hate his family inheritance. He needed to hate fame, cricket, stable career, security, time with his family, growing older in the family estates, surrounded by generations of family members who had come to love and adore him. CT's love for Christ meant hating all else by comparison. There was nothing in life, whether it be relationship or anything else, that was off limits when it came to submitting to the will of Christ. Let's just pause here for a moment. Already today, we've heard the words of Christ, very bold statements. We've taken a look into the life of C.T. Studd. So now let me ask you this. What do you need to hate? Let's take about a minute or a minute and a half. If you need to, grab a pen and make a quick list of some of the things that you need to hate or 
Maybe just simply close your eyes and make a mental note. Are there areas that you refuse to hate in comparison to loving Jesus? Ultimately, we know that devotion to Christ cannot be anything less than wholehearted. In verse 27, Jesus says, And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Remember C.T. Studd in his statement, considering himself backslidden for a period of about six years while he entertained Christianity. And I would imagine that it would have been those initial years where C.T. would have considered himself not to have been bearing his cross. In his life, there was this confronting moment where he examined his life and also examined the life of a disciple. And after evaluating the two, he made the decision that from that day forward, the cross would be his garment. The idea of carrying a cross and the image that Jesus is presenting is quite startling. Being inhabited by Rome, Jesus' audience would have been familiar with the practice of crucifixion. In fact, there would have been many in Jesus' audience of that day who would have witnessed a crucifixion. The cruelty and the barbarism that were associated with this form of capital punishment. And yet, this is the association and this is the image that Christ leaves to his hearers. I try to visualize Jesus' words, a person who is carrying a cross upon their shoulder, and that the weight of carrying this cross would, would be immense because it would need to be a large enough structure to support a person's body weight. And as I get this picture, I imagine if you were carrying a cross, there would be nothing else that you could carry along the way. Your hands would be full. And I wonder here if Jesus is making a subtle point. That in our following him, the cross is all we are to be preoccupied with. It is the only thing that we hold tightly to. And if we do that, and if we get that part right, that his hands will be the hands that sustain us and keep us and revive us. And it will be his hands that will lead us with grace and strength. In our passage, we continue and we see that Jesus is very upfront with his audience. He says, but don't begin this life of discipleship until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. The lesson is plain. Jesus doesn't want his followers to run into this discipleship lifestyle without 
taking into consideration all that is involved. You know, Jesus could never be accused of performing a great switcheroo. You see, Jesus doesn't present this life to his followers, a life of discipleship in one way, and then down the road, surprise them in another way. Jesus doesn't follow or call his disciples and they are not following him along this pathway. He doesn't turn around and say, oh, you know what? In the beginning, I forgot to mention that this life wouldn't always be that easy. Sorry, guys. Or he doesn't look at them and say, oh, I know that you've been following me for quite some time, but I forgot to mention there's this whole carrier cross thing. There are no hidden terms and conditions, no fine print to sift through. Jesus was always up front. He informed his disciples, they are going to hate me and they will also hate you. They will persecute me and they will also persecute you. Jesus' followers understood the costly path. And in verse 33, you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. This doesn't mean that we have to be totally impoverished, but instead it means every would-be Christian must give up whatever stands in the way of wholehearted discipleship. And this is the costly path, and yet this path is also a glorious one. A couple of weeks ago, Andre presented a powerful message, and in that message he spoke out of Philippians 2. And I think that passage is very relevant for what we're covering today. In Philippians 2, Paul writes, beginning in verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that is the costly path. But it doesn't stop there. Paul continues, Therefore, God exalted him, meaning Christ, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue Acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the glorious path. You know, Christianity appears to have these multiple paradoxes. That if you lose your life, you'll save it. The first will be last. When I'm weak, I'm actually strong. The greatest among you will actually be the greatest servant. And so the costly and glorious path can appear to be a paradox as well. Why would I knowingly shoulder a cross and incur this great risk and cost? Why would I die to what I want and can hand over control of my life and being over to him? Why would I do that? Because that is what's required. That's what's required to be his disciple and to be a child of God. And in doing so, we get to walk in this life in His grace and peace. To wake up every day knowing that I am His and He is mine. 
We get to understand that no matter what happens in our life, we are sustained by the God of heaven. And what greater vocation to hold than one of being absolutely dependent and consumed and enamored by Christ and his work. Why would I shoulder a cross? Because Christ is absolutely worth it. Paul reminds us of this in Romans 8 when he writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You see, when we follow Christ, it is a costly but yet glorious path. And one day we will trade our crosses for crowns. The question we have today is, have you considered the cost? Have you calculated and stood back and considered what you need to hate and what it means to take up the cross and truly follow him? Christ invites all of us to do so, to examine our lives and consider the cost of discipleship. Today we'll end with a couple of statements from C.T. Studd. He says, I cannot tell you what joy it gave me to bring the first soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. I have tasted almost all the pleasures this world can give, but they were as nothing compared to the joy the saving of that one soul gave me. I realized that my life was to be one of simple childlike faith and that my part was to trust not to do. I was to trust in him and he would work in me to do his good pleasure. And from that time, my life has been different. He has given me the peace that passes understanding and that joy which is unspeakable. Today, we've spoken about the costly path and we've looked again in Philippians as Christ has given us the perfect example of following a costly and glorious path. We too, in our following of him, we consider our cost and know that when we follow, there is a cost. But there's also glory associated with that cost. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the time that we could have examining your word. We thank you for those in times past, like C.T. Studd, who have been shining examples of what it means to be a true Christ follower. God, we know that every person's life is different and every situation is different. But God, there are so many similarities in that you call each and every one of your followers to shoulder their cross and to follow you. Today, we think of your bold statements saying that we must hate everything else in our life by comparison to the extreme and intense love that we have for you. And so, Father, in this moment today, I ask that you would allow us to consider that cost and that you would allow us to look at our lives to see, are there things that we are not hating enough? And by your grace and by, you sh and by your strength, will you lead us further along the path of true discipleship? We thank you for our time together. We pray that this study of your word would cause transformation to occur in our life. Thanks for checking out our sermons podcast today. 
For more information on Ottawa Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ottawabaptist.com.